0: Welcome to what many are calling the hit hot podcast of the summer, history and music. Uh, I'm here joined with my excellent co-host, Sean. How are you doing, Sean? Aloha. Coming to us from his front room. That's correct. Yes. And then I'm also joined by another brand new guest, Derek. How's it going, Derek? Hey, great. Awesome. Derek is another Twitter mutual uh, he's, he's been listening to the podcast and submitted an excellent song. And so here he is. This could be you. If you're listening to this, this could be you on the, on this hit podcast of the summer, the history music podcast. So what's up, Derek? How you doing?
1: Great. Yeah. Excited. Uh, get into this. This is, uh, this is going to be fun. A little bit different. Maybe.
2: Yeah, I think so. So Scott, are we calling it him yet? History and music, or is that just for like our, our fan club?
0: Yeah, we can, uh, we can call our listeners hymns
2: or himmers. Him heads. I like that. H- hymns. <laughs> cool, man. Hey, so Derek, like uh, Scott was saying, we're all Twitter mutuals. And I'm actually in another music chat with you that's not the music discussion chat with Bob DeDuck. Oh, Even though goodness. he's caught up in this episode, we're in a different one. We're actually in the... Um, the punk rock group chat i think is what That's it's called right. and i think the yeah. idea was to start like a like a super group right I'm, I'm still
1: working on it man i still me and me and uh todd michael another another mutual we we started with uh started with an idea to, to get a ska band going a while ago and so i started writing some stuff and uh and then he got bu- busy with his business so good on him that man is a legend and I would love to see him on an episode one of these times, you know, but we've also got, you know, Adam Eberts. He's, he's the OG punk rocker. Like n- none of us can really claim it the way he can, but I started seeing enough stuff out there that was just getting my blood boiling, like really getting that desire to rage in the way that I did back in my punk rock days back in high school that, uh, that I was like, you know, we could, we should, we should do something. we got to usher in, we need some battle music usher in the, you know, usher in the second coming, let's let's make it happen. Apocalypse now. That, that
0: sounds awesome. At first I was kind of offended that I wasn't a part of this punk chat, but I don't think I could hang. So I'm not, I'm not musical at all. So you, you guys sound pretty, uh, pretty intense well i
2: don't i don't remember who started it it might have been ebert's but somebody posted on twitter and said hey like this tweet or comment if you want to be part of like if, if you like punk rock music and so i liked it and all of a sudden i'm in this chat with people that actually play punk rock music not just listen to it <laughs> and so now i'm thinking like oh dude I, I got in here by mistake man like i shouldn't be in here <laughs> but no, we, i kind of just hang in hang in the background and be like hey you guys like newfound glory cool me too <laughs>
1: We've got some, we've got some people in there that, uh, they're not musicians and, but they contribute some impressive ideas, like, like anything for inspiration, anything to get the, get the flow going. You know, I'm a lot more collaborative. I wish I could just, you know, sit down, pound it all out, but being a drummer, you know, my at on, on Twitter is latter day drums. That's my, that's my musical forte, I guess. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so the writing, the writing takes time for me. It's, it's a little bit of a process.
2: I'm not one of those creative people. I'm just happy to be there.
1: <laughs>
0: you can,
2: you can witness <laughs> the the genius. Yeah. That's, I kind of just have a first, I, I, I get to, I get to hear all of the, um all the, all the rough, you know, the rough edits or the rough right. cuts of the songs that are put out there and offer my feedback and pretend like I know something. <laughs> but yeah, I think I shared one of our episodes, Scott, like one of our first ones, I think, in that chat. And I was like, hey, guys, not necessarily punk rock, but something Scott and I are working on. If any of you guys are interested in coming on the show or selecting a song. And I think, Derek, you were like one of the first people to be like, hey, man, you should do this song. It's really good. And I think it can open up a conversation for some other stuff, which we'll get into later in the show. And that's kind of what brings us till today, if I'm not mistaken, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I'm i kind of surprised you, you're we're going with it because... It's a little bit. It's a little bit different from from previous episodes you've done, but but I'm really excited about it. I think it's an awesome conversation to have.
0: Yeah, awesome. It's, it's going to be really good. So, Derek, that's kind of how how we know each other. Tell us a little bit about you. What's your What's your history with music?
1: Yeah, I I went out. I got a paper out and I went and bought a drum set when I was 12 years old because I was going to be a rock star. I was going to make it, man. And me and my buddy back in high school, we you know. We, we, we used to play the gigs in middle school, actually. Eighth grade parties. Oh, yeah, man. We were the ones playing uh, Bowling for Soup and Green Day, you know, all that. Dude, um, that, that's awesome. Nice. <laughs> but so uh, I started studying music a little more uh, when I got into high school, jazz and marching and all that. Uh, my buddy ended up becoming a criminal, so that's too bad. But, <laughs> you know, it's one of the risks when you pursue the rock star lifestyle
0: yeah yeah exactly i was about to say that's <laughs> it's almost par for the course with with a uh,
2: punk rock very very punk rock of him yeah
1: yeah i got uh i got kicked out of the my the punk rock band i was in after after a month
2: for being too for, punk right
1: actually actually for getting in trouble with the cops is what happened uh um, okay i, I stand I got, by what i said <laughs> i got in trouble with the cops, and uh and my mom wouldn't let me wouldn't let me go anymore so so both being too punk rock and not punk rock enough, you know. Because uh, of... mom's <laughs> it's like, "All right, mom, if you say so." All right, so we're
0: we're joined we're joined here with uh, Derek, convicted felon, and Mama's boy.
1: <laughs> You'd be surprised,
2: man. The duality of man.
1: <laughs> so so I the last ten years I've spent uh, actually uh, working in construction. Operating, operating equipment, doing concrete, driving truck, all that. And I've had a number of experiences that have kind of led me to, to move towards something more of what I feel called to. I'm currently a student at BYU-Idaho studying marriage and family. And a little bit on that, my mom is a therapist who works at a prison. And my dad was an army chaplain who uh, is currently a, a congregational minister. So, so it's a little bit in my blood to, to be moving in that direction, which it's also kind of funny that Adam is, you know, also a therapist. So, and got the punk rock background. So who knows what that's about? Yeah. You heard it here
0: first.
2: Therapy is punk rock. (laughs) Yeah, The (laughs) new new punk rock. Therapy is the new black. (laughs) So Derek on, on like just ballpark, how many other dudes are in your same uh, major in college?
1: I have F- yet BYU to meet hope. one. I have yet to meet one.
2: <laughs> the odds are in your favor, man. It's too bad you're already married, right? <laughs> Dude, so how is it being a minority?
1: <laughs> yeah, what's that like?
2: What's it like being a minority?
1: You know, sitting in the back of the back of the class and, and, and just being talked over and
2: man.
1: which is actually kind of the experience, but only because it's a bunch of chatty women talking about relationships, you know. Yep. Yeah, speaking of things to say that'll get us in trouble.
2: <laughs> they just need to sit down and listen and hear what you have to say. Your contribution. Yeah.
0: Well, cool. So that's that's kind of your history with music. What what's your taste in music? What what do you listen to?
1: So it really it 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 depends on a lot of things. I assume like
0: like really mellow indie stuff. Is that, is when, that typically
1: it? So I'm <laughs> listening. Right. That's it. That's it. The ethereal stuff. You know, it's more sounds. Very heavy. Uh, right. So it's actually – it usually depends on what I'm studying because I, I have a hard time listening to music for pleasure a lot of times. Like it's – I immediately start trying to analyze it and, and see what to do with it. And so – but so I've listened to so much Rush, it's not even funny.
2: like Oh, nice. Nice. Like that's probably oh, – Neil Peart is the best drummer in the world.
1: Just hands down. It's as simple as that. Yeah. like. But then I'll but then I'll, you know, be wanting to sort of branch out and expand my horizons. And there's this jazz band called Snarky Puppy. They just do amazing things with music. They break it's it's one of those they're breaking the rules and just blowing your mind at the same time. But I also listen to all the normal stuff. I can, you know, turn on the radio, something I can sing along with. My family, we all grew up dancing. So I listen to the hip hop and rap for, for that. Ludacris was the man back in the day, you know. Can't really, I don't really feel good about turning that on anymore now that I got kids. But yeah, you yeah, gotta be careful. <laughs> Get the kids' so, bop version, yeah, edited
0: version.
2: Um, <laughs> it's just sorry, it's just a beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Scott, we we haven't done this in a couple episodes, but what are you currently listening to? Oh, at this stage yeah. in your life. Yeah. Um.
0: So, yeah, we always mention that chat, and I, and I get new music from there. But, um, oh, man, uh, you are putting me on the spot. What am I listening to? Young the Giant. Yeah, I've been listening to them quite a bit <laughs> lately, which is awesome, by the way. Let's see. I have uh, Taking Back Sunday. Uh, so, so just, just my normal stuff, I guess, like punk rock stuff um Just the, cl- the classics yeah but um there's, there's there's some there's some i don't think you guys know this but i'm I, in high school i was really big into jack johnson um so i always go back to his stuff uh, that's why you're so chill yeah i know uh, everything before uh was it for the uh, seduction yeah no nah, kind of uh, it d- doesn't really work on my wife but uh if it did <laughs> <laughs> but, if but, but with my wife i i, I put on a uh, less than jake and she, she'll be in the mood maybe but, uh, oh nice! Uh, Speaking yeah, she, of Ska he's more into that.
1: Yeah, that's a win.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Fun funny fact. that you guys are starting a ska band because, like, in a uh, in I mean, uh, we're, I'm just going to say a third music chat that I'm in that uh, is I get that I'm known. not in by the way, so now we're <laughs> even,
2: Scott. Or, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, I I kind of became known as a ska guy, and because uh, I kept submitting ska songs, um, I'm not that into it, but it's everyone i talk to seems to think i am but it is awesome i like that genre well it's anyway. cuz
2: usually usually like ska dudes are like at least back in the day are only into ska that's yeah. all they listen to yeah. um so it kind of it kind of goes with the territory um so the type of dancing you do when you listen to ska music is called skanking did you guys mm. know that yeah oh yeah
1: oh trust me fella
2: okay i figured <laughs> then for the folks at home all of our listeners, go, there's, there's a fun fact for you.
0: There's a there's a uh, ska band called Skink and Pickle, so it's I right in the name. Of them. Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. All right. Yeah,
1: I got to give a shout out. We mentioned punk, and I didn't even mention a punk band a song. Uh, punk band. I got to give a shout out to International Noise Conspiracy. Adam turned me on to them. I hadn't heard him before. This uh, the, our punk our punk rock chat, and th- that's probably some of the best. What what like, phase of what phase of
0: punk? Like what what kind of uh, music is it?
1: So they're like early two thousands. Um, okay, okay. And so, so uh, is it
0: is it is it more like pop punk type or is it like
1: no no uh it's got more of a Ramones vibe right okay um not the I w- the punk band I was in was a street punk so more like rancid uh type of just screaming and fast and loud Operation Ivy yeah 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 oh man I love I- Operation Ivy that might be that was my favorite back in the day
2: nice cool yeah although most of the stuff adam's throwing out there is like 90s stuff like screeching weasel like one of our prior episodes there's a callback but that that's like most of the music he suggests like hey this song came out before you guys were born but it's pretty good check it out (laughs) adam come on the podcast and defend yourself man we've given you enough shout outs already (laughs) um but should we uh should we get into the song now
0: I think so. Let's get into so, some uh, some some context for this song. Yeah.
2: So Derek, the song we heard was Garans or Garans, depending on how you want to pronounce it, by a band called Young the Giant. What is your – before right before we get to the lyrics, give us like just a brief overview. What is your experience with this song and or with the band? So
1: I have no idea how I came across this band. I think it was on a, if anyone still uses Pandora, I think it was on a Pandora station. Uh, I was throwing t- together some stuff. Um, I like Muse a lot, just like the power, like when I'm looking for something to keep me, get me jacked and motivated. Uh, and and I think something from them came on and uh, maybe related to Walk the Moon, you know that, and I guess another sort of poppy indie band. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all good, good stuff for dancing with the family, get the kids out there, you know. And they, I was like tuned into this sound. Like I don't know what they're doing. I, I wish I could define it. Um, it's the thing that I haven't been able to like actually grasp. How like what what it is the quality of the music that they're making here. But I'm into it. And so this song came around, and it just took me right to where you know uh, every everything everything I'd studied in. Uh, you know, can't, can't go through an episode without mentioning Dan Carlin, hardcore history, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, you, you you go through the world war one, uh, episodes like that, that arc. And, and just that feeling of, you know, being in the trenches covered in mud, you know, the fear, the shock, the, the horror, what your own actions, all of that. And, and so the more, like I started learning this song, like I I love playing it. And, uh, (laughs) It really like, as I as I started thinking about it, it just, it seems like the perfect place for sort of putting yourself into the history in the same, in a musical way, it's sort of the same way that uh, Dan Carlin's able to do in his podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I've noticed that too. He's, he's very good at putting you in the headspace of wh- whoever it is he's talking about, right? He could be talking about like the cons, right? Like the Wrath of the Cons episodes he does where like th- there's some... Pretty horrific things, but but it's but it's important to to study and know what their what like what their uh, motivations were. So uh, yeah, that's, I, a, I that's could an totally old that. that's an
2: old radio trick called the theater of the mind. Ah, very nice. <laughs> and 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 Dan Carlin is very good at that. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, cool, man. Yeah, I'll I'll be honest. Like I had heard of Young the Giant and I've heard that they have a couple songs on the radio that I had heard. I'm like, okay, they have a kind of nice fun sound, you know, kind of a summertime music, but I had never heard this song before. And this song Garans or Garans is on their debut album that came out back in 2010, 2010 or 2011, I think. (laughs) And so their, their most popular song ever is that song cough syrup. And this is the same album as this song here. So it's their first debut album. And this is definitely a deep track from that album because other than yourself, I don't know anyone that's heard this song. It's not one of their top songs played on Spotify or whatever. So it kind of is a sleeper in a way. When did Mm -hmm. it come out? Uh, 2010. That's when the album came out was the end of 2010. Got it. uh, Is when the album came out and this song was on that album.
1: And, and uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but in some places when you look it up, the title will actually be, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a Grand's guy, that's how I say it, uh, "Grand's at Normandy.
2: Both are correct. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and you're right. I looked that up because what happened was is when they first got started as a band, Young the Giant, they weren't called Young the Giant because they, they apparently started back in like the early to mid 2000s and they were called the Jakes, like J-A-K-E-S, the Jakes. And I guess Jakes was just an, uh, an, an acronym of all their first, first letters, of their first name or something like that. So okay. I formed the word yeah. Jake. So they were the Jakes and they released like one album or an EP or something uh, back in like 2009. And this song was on that album, but at, back then it was called Garands at Normandy and Normandy was spelled the French way where it ends in mm-hmm. I E instead of Y. Um, now, when they released it again, and they kind of they kind of revamped it a little bit, and, and did some you know new mixing on it and stuff like that for this album, and they dropped the at Normandy, so it's just Garand's but the the lyrics are the same between the two versions. Mm-hmm. Well, more or less, they actually added a final like verse slash bridge to this new version that wasn't on the original. Um, but we can oh. we can talk about that later. But anyway, yeah, so yeah, you're exactly right. So. Cool, man. So, should we get into the the lyrics, or what do you what do you think, Scott?
0: Yeah, I think so. So, so the the lyrics on this song we, we discussed this before. They're not they don't have a lot of like direct history, like events or application to history. It, it's more um, a jumping off point to talk about things. The, the the only mention of a direct history thing is the title, and they got rid of even that in in the title. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, so if there's any lyrics uh, between either, either of you that that jump out that we want to start on, um we don't need necessarily need to go through the whole song because like I said, some of it might not be um, relevant to yeah to and and
2: while while you guys are pondering on that, the the Garand or Garand, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, for those that are not in the know, if you've been living under a rock your whole life, it's referring to the m one, the m one Garand which was the main battle rifle used by the – it was the standard issue battle rifle used by the U.S. Army through all of World War II and the Korean War. So it almost – now this is, this is my interpretation of it. You guys tell me if you disagree. But the fact that this is called Garands means that the soldier talked about in this song is an American. Right, because he's obviously carrying a Garand. I'm assuming, right? I don't know if that's how you guys okay, interpreted right. it. So right. this is clearly an American in most likely World War II. And if we're following the history of the song, he's in Normandy, you know, which is which is Northern France. Um, but at the same
0: time, at the same time, the the feeling that the song evokes and the the things that the the, the lyrics are talking about can be applied to almost any war, right? To, yeah, to any side of any war.
2: Definitely. Yeah, because I had I had I have some thoughts. Can I share them? Go for it. Yeah, <laughs> unless, unless, unless you want to go, Derek. I don't want to steal your thunder because you're you're no, in the right. hot seat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit it. So the song's called Garands, as we said, and it's originally called Garands at Normandy. So it means American Soldier at Normandy. Now, Americans weren't fighting in Normandy with Garands until Operation Overlord, which is saving Private Ryan. You know, the, 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 D, the D-Day landings in Normandy. That's when Americans were, for the most part, American soldiers were fighting in Normandy. And that happened in the summer of 1944, not the winter. And the, so it makes me think this first line here, the first, the first verse says, Go bright light, scout the forest through the night, searching for a sign of life. Memories of fears and strife keep his legs from turning blue broken bones and muddy shoes running through the fields. I knew join the ranks of the favored few. What have I become? And that starts the chorus. So it's interesting because he's, he's scouting the forest with a Garand. Again, he's an American at Normandy. This is how my brain was interpreting this. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost like he's searching for German soldiers. Like, like I'm, I'm assuming cause the, the, the Americans were, were strongly, um, The the, the Germans were strongly defending the Normandy coast at the D-Day landings. We've all Mm. seen Saving Private Ryan. So it was a bloodbath because it was so strongly defended. And the actual battle, the Battle of Normandy lasted. It was like basically all summer. It was like June, July, August, like three months. And there was Mm. like pockets of German resistance here or there. Um, But it makes me wonder if this is possibly during that time period or maybe a little bit after where they're still kind of like on the search for maybe German deserters or little pockets of German resistance here or there. So they're kind of scouting through the forest trying to find them. Um, And as he's doing this, you know, he's kind of bruised, broken, you know, broken bones, muddy shoes. He's running through these fields. And as he's doing this, his mind is reflecting back on running through fields as a child. That's how I interpreted that first verse there did you guys get anything different am I am I totally off base on that I I have some thoughts on it um it
0: it, to me it felt like because because I know the rest of the song it took like a couple listens maybe to to form this opinion or this thought is that it's like it's tearing him down because like because uh it's wearing his his psyche down like his uh physically um, to, uh, I don't, I don't know if prepare is the right word, but like to, um, push him to the events of later in the song type thing. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, um, as you're describing those events of being, you know, um, Normandy, Normandy scouting out, uh, uh, just being in the fight and being tired of the fight. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way you talk about his mind going back to to running through fields when he was a kid, that uh, there's so, you know, it really does connect to, to so many accounts of, of whether it's shell shock or, or PTSD, of the effect that violence has on, you know, the one who commits it.
2: For sure. You know? and yeah it's in join the ranks of the favored few is a line that he says there and that makes me think he's talking about the marines oh yeah now i don't definitely. know if you're a military guy derek or if you're in the military so if you have like your preferred branch of service that's fine but because <laughs> the the garand was the standard issue for the army nice. but when he says i joined the ranks of the favored few that in my mind i was thinking marines because that's who came ashore at normandy right right so we're extrapolating a lot of information um you know, a, a lot of suppositions, I guess, from just the title of the song and what it used to be called, and kind of what it's talking about here. Um, but that's kind of where my mind went: is this guy is a you know a, a marine carrying a garand, you know, trudging through the the forests of Normandy, hunting for enemy soldiers, and as he's doing this, he's kind of reflecting back on his earlier life and like, okay, what am I, what am I doing here? And like, and that battle fatigue is is kind of setting on him. You know, sort of against his will, and and I guess taking his mind away from the task at hand.
1: Well, and 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 it moves into that, and it's when it moves into the chorus where it really starts bringing home that sense of of almost of horror, you could say, when he's asking that question, "What have I become?" Uh, yeah, and this yeah, is. Hit, sorry, I was about to say, just hit us with that chorus. Yeah, go ahead and read it. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's real simple. He says, what have I become before the day is done? And, and, uh, and, and, and it then moves in to the next, next verse saying now that we have got what's left in that, that, that first line of the, of the second verse. And it's the second verse that I really connect, you know, the first, verse setting it up, but that second verse really, really drives it home. I think. Cool. Go, Wait, go for a, it. Go ahead and read it, ma'am. Uh, so he says now that we've got what's left lost my rights when I was young taken by the ones I trust long before I knew of love all the things I understood fighting for the greater good now tell me why this feels so wrong feels so wrong to hold this gun now look what I've become I really hear um, that sense that you know of a of, of of the response to a draft right the response of being recruited. Taken on having that choice taken away from you, uh, entering into the fight and what it means to have that taken away from you, the ones, you know, taken by the ones I trust that being, you know, your government, your, your, the, the pride of your family, you could even, uh, connect that to. And, and this is something that, uh, I've been, I've been looking at, you know, chaplaincy. My, my dad's a chap was a chaplain, a retired chaplain. And, uh, The thing that you comes up against, uh, and and it's something that I think everyone should check out. There's a book by Dr. Edward Tick. um, Oh, the name is escaping me. Of course, I have it nearby here. Um, Where, where, uh, war in the soul. That's the name of it. War in the soul. Um, And and it's it's the thing that scars a soldier uh, is never. Is never what he's seen happen or what's been done to him. It's what he's done. That's that's the thing he can't live with, and it's and it's repeated over and over again uh, through all of these stories. Uh, that that it's 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 seeing yourself become the monster that breaks you. Your whole life is built on this foundation of everyone you know in some way trying to prove they're a good person, right? And so we all have our justifications for that. We all have our moral structure, our framework for that. But then war happens, and and you have to fight, or 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 be a coward, and that's also something one might have to live with. And uh, but it's it's once that settles in, once you know the fighting dies down just enough, right? They're walking through the fields. He's he's on the search, and and realizing. As he describes in the song you know we were fighting for the greater good this was everything i thought i understood this was everything i thought i knew but it is so wrong to be here doing this try you know looking to take more life
2: that's like his his platoon moment like his loss of innocence mm-hmm. it's almost like it's like while he's trudging through normandy right he's like oh wait what am I doing? Like I joined for the greater good and you know, mom and pop back home and uncle, you know, an apple pie and these things. And now I'm out here like, you know, trying to kill people with a gun in the woods. And I'm, you know, cold and muddy and whatever. And it's, it's almost like it dawns on him all, all of, you know, all of a sudden as he's trudging through the Ardennes or something, you know, through the, to the, the, right. It wouldn't be Ardenne, I guess, cause he's in Normandy, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I wonder if, now I've heard that there, there's kind of like a, um, I guess a tip for songwriting for bands that want to get big and get popular. And that's to make the song like just generic enough to where it's not super, super specific to where no one can relate to it except for you and like maybe one of your friends or the girl you dated or whatever, but to make it where it's still relatable, but, but generic enough to where everyone can go, Oh yeah, dude, I can, I connect with that. You know, but you're not mm-hmm. like so specific that it, it only applies to you only. And I and I wonder if that's why they're doing this here is rather than saying anything specific. because I don't know anything about the guys in the band. If they have like a relative or something that died in this war, or you know, if they have any history with World War II or Normandy or anything. But it's almost like they do. They're doing this on purpose. And the, the idea was is like, well, our song is set as, as a, you know, in theory, an American soldier in Normandy, but it really, like Scott said earlier, it's every man. It's, you know, all of us, all of us are this guy at some point, you know, or all soldiers are this guy at some point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and your, your, uh, kind of description of the, the more vague lyrics, I think it, it's definitely an artistic decision. Um, it, it's almost more like, like an impressionist painting where it's like if you squint and you can see it type thing. Uh, it, it, it's not hard lines like that's a nose type thing it, it's more vague right so you take a step back and 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 kind of more take in the the feeling of it and and in that way it does apply to to uh many things
2: well it leaves it, for, it leaves it open for interpretation so we can do stuff like this so, so what do you think that line meant you know exactly kind of do- yeah I, I kind of feel like
0: uh like in in high school when you have to like read uh some uh like literature. What did and, Jane Austen
2: mean here when yeah, she exactly. But why is the
0: lamp red? And, yeah, like, you like, have to like, think I've about why the lamp's one. red. And then someone interviews the author, like it just needed to be
2: a color. I don't know. Yeah. And, Bigger question <laughs> is why am I reading Jane Austen? But that's for <laughs> that's a different
1: question. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Well, on that on that invitation, let me offer uh, another in- interpretation that I that I connect to pretty strongly with this song, because they're you know. Now you have to you have to disregard you have to disregard the title for this interpretation, um, but when when considering just like the horror of the atrocity of war, and then and then the soldier that is that is having to contemplate what he's become. Um, my personal interest in history is more of a humanistic one, and 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 specifically with the atrocities, with those limit situations and. And so, applying the, the the lyrics of this song to to say uh, guards of concentration camps uh, or or medical students in Unit 731, Japan, are we familiar with with uh, with, with that event?
2: The rape of Nanking?
1: Um, it's 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 related, but it's something that actually wasn't committed by the military. The Japanese medical system decided that they would. That they would use Chinese prisoners and they got a few Russians and Americans as well uh, as as medical experimentation. They did this in mainland China, set up a a camp there. And uh, how graphic do we want to get? Do we want to
2: trigger warning? All right, go ahead.
1: (laughs) All right. So some of the things they would do included uh, vivisections in which they would dissect someone while they were alive uh, really? after infecting them with different diseases, including the bubonic plague. They would leave them with rats uh, to see the effects of the uh, on the body over time. They would leave them exposed to the cold and uh, uh, to, to see the, the effects of frostbite. Um, test all these different things. And one of the things that they did to dehumanize their subjects was they would refer to them as logs. Wow. And every medical student during World War II in, in Japan was required to go through this program. This That's one of the lesser known ones. You know, we, we get caught up on the Holocaust all the time. But uh, they're just just the, just the absolute horror it, it, and, and, and then you can put that alongside the rape of Nanking, like you mentioned, the horrifying things that the
2: Japanese soldiers uh, did to Chinese citizens. as a side note, the Finns called the Russians firewood during World War II. Oh, we did <laughs> they, really. they had a Finnish word for it, but that's what they called it. It was the idea was, I forget Loti or something like that, but a basically is you chop up. The, uh, the the Russian units that are invading Finland into small, manageable bits and stack them like firewood. That was kind of like the Finnish word for mm-hmm. Russian soldiers mm-hmm. in World War II. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Not nearly as atrocious, obviously, but... That's pretty That's pretty bad. It, it, this is all
0: kind of uh, uh, reminding me a, a bit of the Mozote uh, episode.
1: El Mozote, it, yeah. Callback.
2: Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, but so what is fascinating to me is... The process of, of of someone going from someone like me or you entering in this extreme situation, and then by with their own hands, with their own volition, committing these horrific atrocities, mm-hmm. and and the specific instance that comes to mind uh, with this song is actually related to the book Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning. If you're familiar with that, and in the book he he finds he essentially what happens. The author came across these interviews, 125 interviews of, of police reserve battalion 101, that uh, were all too old for military service, and so they um, they were recruited into the the order police ordnungspolizei, and and were 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 essentially sort of you know meant to keep order, and all of these middle aged the The average age was around forty. They were in their late thirties mostly, and uh, and they so they all ended up being sent to Poland, and all had families, all had careers, all grew up before the you know Second World War. Some of them may have been World War One veterans, but certainly not raised and propagandized Hitler Germany, right? And they went on to commit some of the worst atrocities of the Second World War and uh, exterminations of of entire you know Jewish neighborhoods uh, and, and and a lot of what they did was overseeing the the transport on the train so loading them onto the trains and transporting them and and offloading taking care of whatever happened to them while they were on the train making sure if anyone tried to get away to to, to keep them from doing that um, and they and and they came from, The most normal circumstances, everything, everything about them. They had a, you know, wife and kids at home. They had a shop, you know, they got, they got drafted into this. Um, And normally they were just businessmen that, uh, you know, and there were some of them, interestingly, the very first, uh, it's July, 1942. Mm -hmm. And the, the final, uh, the, the final solution had just gotten kicked off. And, it started around March. I, uh, the way they they put it, about twenty percent of all the deaths that occurred had already had already been committed by March of nineteen forty two, and within the next eleven months, almost eighty percent would be done, would it would, would be completed. And so this this reserve battalion, they're they're uh, of just policemen, of ordinary guys. They're sent up to Poland, and on their first. They go into a lot of detail on the first time they committed a massacre. Um, they're lined up and their leader, who's really the only party guy in this entire battalion. The, the the thing that's interesting about him is it's not like they're all raving Nazis. Really, it's just it's just the the major. Um, I've got his name here. Trap trap like the Von Traps. That's how you, you remember that.
2: Major Trap. But not but, one of the on traps though, because he was a soldier bon as well. But not, yeah. not him. Right. Not gay not gay org from Sound of Music. He would never yeah. He was against the Nazis. That's actually essential <laughs> to the end of the movie.
1: Not that guy. Um, different trap. Yeah. He uh, he was he was the guy who was really pushing like the the, the racist propaganda of, of Nazi Germany, the the, the sort of the, that hatred for Jews. Yes. So he he was,
0: he was more bought in and, exactly. and kind of pushing his soldiers to, to,
1: and to, you can see it. actually in the way in, in the interviews and in the way he writes that it was for career purposes. Do you don't see any motivation in him out of, out of outright hatred, but you do see a lot of ambition for promotion. And so he touts the party line, and he pushes everyone to do things uh, that they might not want to. But so he lines up his battalion. They get, to, they get to Poland in July 1942, lines them up, and he tells them, we are going to be um, rounding up every, uh, all the Jews in this neighborhood. And if they resist, then you will kill them. And we'll be shipping them off, women, children, all of them.
2: I believe the word that they actually used was liquidate. They were liquidating the Jewish ghettos, right? And then that kind of was – it's open for interpretation what that actually meant to the guys on the ground doing this liquidation, but that was what it was. So most of the time, it was like force relocation. A lot of the time, it was sending them on trains to – well, we know yeah. where now, right. but, you know. Anyway, yeah, sorry, well, yeah, sorry, it's sorry, interesting John, that that
0: word uh, evokes something when you think of it literally.
2: Yeah, exactly. And what I find interesting about this, Derek, is and you brought this this ordinary um, men book up. I had never heard of this author. I vaguely heard the book before. I have not read it, so I'm glad that you have. But after you mentioned it before the show, I, I did some kind of you know the, we we here at the um, the podcast we kind of pr- you know provide we uh, pride ourselves on doing some some research before. So you know I uh, did a little bit of googling and. The, the police battalion was just that. It, they weren't actually soldiers. They were literally policemen that were kind of like sort of lumped in with the SS and other guys. And they were sent to this German-occupied Poland with, as I understand it, kind of vague orders of, hey, keep order. You're the order police. So keep order, keep the keep the Polish Jews in line, keep them in the ghettos. And then when the time came, liquidate them. And it was sort of not really told from the higher-ups what that actually meant. But sometimes the guys in the ground, like this um, trap guy, uh, sort of took things literally or maybe just took a little too far. But in his mind, he's not doing this for hatred of the Jews. He's like, well, this is what corporate wants, so we're going to do what corporate wants. We're going to go ahead and do it. The classic just
1: following orders type thing. Yeah.
2: Right, exactly. Which we learned after this war doesn't work. Well, I, I, <laughs> They'll still hold you accountable, right?
1: And I'd, I'd I'd like to touch on that as, when we get there. That, that yeah, defense.
2: I, I don't mean to, to divert your, uh, your 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 spiel there. Go ahead.
1: Well, so so this 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 initial event, this initial event is so telling, um, and I because I think it really ties tie it, that it's it's where I get brought in the message of this song of connecting. You know, it's something Dan Carlin will always ask. It's like could you we we look at these atrocities like we could never commit them but we can't know if we hadn't been there if we like you put yourself in the position of of you know a career policeman who you know just serve and protect take care of your family get your get your paycheck get your promotion and and try to do some good you know and 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 what ends up happening on this this first, you know, July nineteen forty two, this day, and I think it's in Lublin is the is the place in Poland that that this this first atrocity occurs. Uh, and and Major Trapp stands up and he and he the, he, tell, he gives them the orders of what they're going to do. We're going to be you know uh, rounding up and liquidating this 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 community, and if anyone wants to step out, now is your chance really and one man he they gave him the chance he gave him the chance he recognized you know your policeman we didn't sign up to exterminate people uh and so he tells him you you're you're welcome you're welcome to go home wow you don't have to do this. you'll be reassigned you know one person stands up one person steps up steps forward and says i'm not going to do this and it was an older man and his reasoning was basically i'm a family man you know my career is pretty much done i'm I'm, I'm pretty much through. I don't want to do this. Immediately.
2: Nothing. Yeah. Lose, yeah. Definitely.
1: Right. Immediately. One of the sergeants jumps on him and starts going, how could you be a coward and let down your fellow men? And so that kind of tells you that German, that, that, that sort of mindset, you know, if, if the sergeant, you know, felt justified in, in berating him in that way, after he was given that offer from the major. You know, what do you think the guy next to him was thinking, you know? Okay, and, so so and, it wasn't
0: as as generous of an offer as as maybe you'd think. It, it was like it was very much like y- you have the option, but don't choose that option, basically. Right.
1: Culturally, you'd think this is when Major Trap busts him down, tells his sergeant, step back and run and, and basically comes to his defense and says, No, if he doesn't want to do it, he does not have to do it. He will not make anyone do this.
2: And apparently this happened several times to this battalion. Like there was other times where they're going to go liquidate some Jews and the guy goes, Hey, if anyone wants to do this, don't do it. And there were other times where other men stood up, but it was never more than like 50, you know, and, and for a little bit of context, I'll, I'll get back to you in a second, Derek, but for a little bit of context, supposedly there were 17, police battalions just like this. This is just one we're talking about. But there's actually 17 of them that were sent to German-occupied Poland after the German invasion mm-hmm. to, to basically do these kinds of things. But Battalion 101 is the most notorious because of what Derek's getting to here. And Battalion 101, as I understand it, only had about 500 men. Right. So just a little bit of context on what we're talking about here so battalion 101 500 men it's one of 17 or so battalions that were in german occupied poland at the time and um the reason why battalion 101 is is unique in a lot of these battalions is because these were men that were too old to be drafted into the german army and because the german army wasn't that desperate at this time they later became very desperate and drafted everybody but at this time they were they were still taking the young men the guys who were like healthy and everything so these were all guys that were older you know, maybe they had some battle wounds from the First World War, you know, whatever it was. And they were sort of kind of drafted or, or signed up to be in this like reserve police force kind of lumped in with the army to go keep, quote unquote, keep order in Poland. And then all these things happen um, because you have a few Nazi leaders in key positions over these battalions. Yeah, right. right. So. Yeah, keep going man sorry I haven't read the book I've just I read about this battalion afterwards but I have not actually read the book and you have so keep going well
1: so so once once major trap comes to the defense of uh, of the one one conscientious objector 12 others seeing that it would be safe for them to step forward 12 others then step forward and so they're mm-hmm. they're allowed to to leave now this is 12 out of 500 that's it's not great numbers when you have a bunch of middle-aged you know, family, family guy. You know, policeman uh, being told that your job is to, to to pull the trigger on on women and children. But there were an, was an opportunity, and I wonder if that even condemns them further, right? But so then they move into the work, and they get them moved out fairly peacefully. There's not a lot of death in that process, and so th- things seem to be going normally. But then the orders come that they need to be exterminated and like you said liquidated and something interesting that they find in these in these uh in these in these interviews is the language that the soldiers use when recollecting and they gave the interviews in the 1960s so it's a good 20 years later and the language they would use they didn't use the language of, of of kill and exterminate they would use the word release when when talking about about taking the fire. And so some of the justifications they would use um, when they would say, they'd say the word release uh, and, and they'd talk about the fact that, well, they were going to die anyways, you know, it, it, I, I might as well just, would just do the work because someone was going to do it. And it was, it, you know, it all being shoved on them kind of suddenly. There was one who, who gave a really interesting justification, somewhat chilling, horrifying justification. He said that he chose to only Aim at the children, and his reason for that was that their par- his, the children's parents were being uh, were being killed. And now the child would have to be in the world without without their mother, and and so he didn't want to you know outright kill them, but he could offer some mercy in the child not being in the world without their mother anymore. And so he would fire on them that way. Dang, that is dark. It then goes on to describe the fact that uh, that that word "release" to re- to to release these children, you know, release the uh, the Jews that were rounded up. It's the same word in German as to save or to redeem. I I had the word, I, I lost it now. Uh, I lived in Germany for two years and and could speak it then. I, I I'm pretty much useless with, uh, anymore, but. You serve a mission in Germany, uh, sort of. That's when I. That's when I. I actually came back to my faith was in Germany.
2: Oh, so yeah, awesome. We said, it, said two years. It, I it ended up lining
1: up. I, I did a lot of work with the missionaries at the time. So nice. So there was a little bit of a mercy in there for what maybe what I had chosen. Sweet. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, so what's what's crazy about about this, is these guys, they did receive training. So it wasn't like they just got put in the police force and sent to Poland. As I understand, they actually did have some training. They did have sort of a military structure of sorts. But the the whole reason you brought this up, Derek, is because these are literally ordinary men who are all of a sudden put in extraordinary circumstances and are doing horrific things. And the whole idea is like, well, how do we get from point A to point Mm B? These ordinary men. you know, These guys weren't trained killers. They weren't Nazi like, you know, hardliners. So how yeah, do you get it, there? I think you know? it
0: comes down to, uh, th- th- there's the line in the song that taken by the ones we, ones I trust. It's, um, it, the, the ones they trusted was, was, their was their government, their military leaders, th- this type of thing. Um, and it, it seems like very calculated, like the way they, who they chose, um, at what point in their life they chose them and then how they built up kind of like, kind of like that first, uh, verse of the song built up um their experience to a point where they felt like they couldn't turn back and then and then like you said derek they all of a sudden just like gave these orders it didn't give them much time to think about it gave them an option to back out but it was all happening so fast type thing and so it, it seemed like it was very much like a calculated way to manipulate them into performing this these acts right
1: Right, right. Uh, he goes on to to analyze the major pieces of, of what actually could have could have justified or motivated uh, the 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 individuals that, that committed these these atrocities, and and a few of the details. You know, the fact that you're in war, and then and then identify an enemy within the war. You're not having a war without an identified enemy so uh so the fact that that placeholder could be you know filled with jew, I don't know that it was necessarily that different than than uh the Japanese fighting the Chinese or you know what they what they what they did over on that side now now the thing that uh when we talk about the Nuremberg trials, we talk about that respect for authority that I was just following orders we come we come up against you know that there's that ruling that that's not a good enough, that's not a good enough reason. Just following orders is not a good enough reason. But the two years I spent in Germany, actually in, you know, 60, 60 years after the Second World War with with a much more liberal populace, I'll tell you what I saw, what I experienced in, in German culture is that you do just follow orders. Like there really is a Ordnung, uh, alles muss richtig sein, you know, set everything in order and, and, and that's, that's quite simply what's expected. And so it's,
0: it's, it's reflected in like their engineering, like they're known for that. Right. They're really precise. Like, like things, things were made a certain way. You can be trusted, trust that is made made a certain way. So I know that interface works. I can move on. I think uh, anyway, I think, yeah, that's reflected there.
2: A very, a very martial or militarist depending on how you want to find it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I was, yeah. I was actually, that was probably the hardest part for me being sort of a free spirited American uh, when when we were living there was, was, you know, I'd pull up, the, it's a silly story, but it really kind of captures it. Pull up to a red light in the middle of a farmland. There's a, re- and and in Germany, there's just, there's stoplights everywhere. 100 Meter That that's what we always said. And you can see for miles, both directions, every direction, there's no cars, lights red. Another guy pulls up right next to me. So we're both going the same direction. And I'm looking and I'm like, you know what? Whatever. And I run the red cuz I don't care. Uh, I have somewhere to be cuz you're an American. <laughs> That's right. That's right as an American, man. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even it, I don't even like I don't understand how this is even a thing. But I get to the next red light and now we're actually in town and there's cars. So like, okay. I see I can see the cars. The guy pulls up next to me, looks right at me through his window, right into my window. And he's making eye contact with me. And he's like really serious. And and I look back at him I'm like, what's your deal, man? And he looks at me and he's shaking his head. Like, we don't do that here.
2: You don't do that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, brother. Ho- yeah, home, homie just turned you over to the SS, <laughs> <He's> bro. <right? laughs> Sorry. It's like, uh-oh, dude, uh-oh, one of those... That was very, that was very, very That's punk rock of you. Yeah. I mean, to, to some extent, there is value in that, especially if we are trying to build like a military culture and have like a cohesive military unit that follows orders. It, there is a benefit to that kind of thinking, oh, yeah. but it, it's foreign to us because, you know, we're Americans and like we're literally just made from freedom. You know <laughs> right. I bleed it, man, and so yeah. <laughs> I don't have DNA; I have USA. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, yeah. When, I, I, so one thing I was going 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 back a little bit to um to what you were talking about with the ordinary men when I was researching this, you know, I, I had I had my uh, my assistant research this for me, and kind of pull it up, and it, I didn't know this, but the majority of the reason why we have a Holocaust, at least the way we understand it is because of this battalion 101 and other units like it, it wasn't like an all German army just massacring people. It was special units like this that were uh, not normal military units. This wasn't like just German army guys. It was like this reserve battalion with the police or these SS like special forces kind of guys. It was always somebody. It wasn't just your rank and file. And what I learned was, is that in addition to this battalion 101, that was massacring all these Polish Jews. They were assisted by people that are known as the Holocaust executioners. They're called Tronikis. I don't know if you guys have heard this before. I never heard this in my life. I didn't learn this in school, but they're called Tronikis and they were the official uh, executioners of the Holocaust. And what they consisted of were men from like Eastern Europe, basically once, once Germany had, had, conquered all these lands and gotten into gotten into Eastern Europe and parts of Russia they would have collaborators they'd have Russians Ukrainians you know Serbians whatever that would join their cause be like hey man I always like the Nazis you know I was kind of just pretending to be a communist I actually always like the Nazis you know you guys are number one and uh, so they would join the the sort of the Nazi cause and the the Germans started forming units of these collaborators from Eastern Europe and they the, the, the term was Troniki or traniki men I think they called them traniki men and they were the ones. They were all these Eastern Europeans. They weren't even German, you know. That this basically went out and started massacring Jews. And um, the other group that assisted this battalion one on one with executing Jews is this uh, this this other group called the Ukrainian auxiliary police. And it was the exact same thing. It's basically once the, the Germans conquered Ukraine, all these J- Ukrainian dudes were like, "Hey man, I want I want to I like what you guys are doing. I want to join." And so they, they made this Ukrainian auxiliary police force that did the exact same thing. Go out and start massacring Polish Jews. And I had never heard that in my life. I was always in the impression it was like every German hated the Jews 100%. They were all dedicated to Hitler. They would die for Hitler. They had sort of this fanaticism, you know, and, and that every single Jew – or excuse me, every single um, German would kill a Jew on sight. You know, that's kind of what, what I was led to believe. And I'm like, well, it seems like th- there was a lot more nuance to it and there was more like these special groups of a lot of times non-germans that were doing these things these atrocities which is really interesting i shouldn't say interesting it's really kind of just i, I don't know
1: it's i mean it's disturbing right you like yeah. you would like to make the evil guy just that evil but but it was it was all of them it was yeah. uh, apparently the latvians were particularly anti-semitic and so they could rely on latvians quite a bit to to work in <laughs> To call these guys out,
2: (laughs) I got a guy. He's laughing.
0: Well, these kind of conversations are are really interesting, and they're and they're um, kind of taboo. And it's too bad because these are the facts of the case, right? Like these are what happened, and and even discussing it can can I guess land you in hot water. But it's like this is what happened, and I think it should be discussed. If, If you don't want history to repeat itself, it needs to be known. Um, and so like there's, it's, I think it's important and, and I'm, I'm really glad Derek, you, you brought the song to the podcast because of that. It, um, we need to be, it, it needs to be known because y- yeah, the, these guys were put in, put in this situation and I think all of us need to pre- be prepared to some extent. Um, what, if I was in that position, what would I do? And there's no way to prepare for it without, thinking through it and knowing about it and mulling it over. Obviously nothing will prepare you for it, but th- like if, uh, th- like it's easy to say, Nope, I just wouldn't do it. I would die before I did that. But I mean, would
2: you, well, that's, that's just it is you can't prepare for this until you're in this situation. You can't prepare for it ever because nothing like this has ever happened. This, this stuff didn't happen in world war one. Right. right you know, no. Sure. There was execution of prisoners here or there. Very rare. Super frowned upon. So, this kind of situation did not happen. And so, it's not a lot of people like to think, like, well, you know, I would have just opposed Hitler. It's like, okay. I mean, we all like to think that it's a nice thought to sit back in our comfy, you know, 21st century, you know, mindset with, with, with your know, 2020, you know, retro, you know um, right. perspective on the past. And, but, but these guys didn't have that. They've been placed in a situation no one has ever been placed in before.
1: Yeah, you want to say that, but your progressive hero Roosevelt defended Hitler,
2: right? Like, Yeah. Hey, uh, Patton said, we after the war, Patton said, we got the wrong guy. He's famously quoted as saying that once Hitler died, he's like, hey, I think we got the wrong guy, man. And he was talking about Joseph Stalin. We should have gotten him instead because he no one, no one can hold – well, actually, one person can hold a candle to the death toll that Stalin has, and that's Chairman Mao. But that's a whole different story. Well,
1: and the thing, the thing that I think is the common thread, you know, we go back to that, the the Nuremberg trial, the following orders that, you know, that culture of of just doing what you're told is between the Soviets, between the Nazis, between the Maoists, um, the Japanese, you know, all of these, these horrific atrocities that were within the last 100 years, like that's a lifetime These people are still alive. These people are alive. Exactly. Like that's us. Yes, exactly. That's, that's our family. Like that's, you know, their names. Um, You have, you have turkey dinner with them, right? uh, Among all of them, the common thread is, is that, is that they out, like I, I, there's a, there's a bunch of ways to say it, but, but they just, they outsourced their thinking. They, 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 they didn't evaluate any of it for themselves. They simply accepted what they were told uh, because it was easier, because it's what they wanted to do, because because it, it felt like the right thing to do. You've got, you know, your ethic of community. You're going to uh, link up with the person next to you. You're going to link up with your cause, with your with your group against the other group. And, and I would like to think that at least maybe for maybe for the Americans, you know, we have such an individualistic streak that that maybe we wouldn't. But we also have the the My Lai Massacre on our hands, you
2: know, and which we talked about in the last episode, (laughs) callback. Nice.
1: And which was another case of just following orders of outsourcing your thinking, but it gets so much easier to do in these limit situations with the extremity of war, with the extremity of threat of, of an enemy. And, and, and so it seems to me that the answer, you know, not to get preachy or political, is is actually being serious like really seriously taking a look at what war means and what it means to to support or oppose it you know we we are currently living in an age of russia versus ukraine and the whole world thinks we need to be supporting one side or the other pouring more stuff into it saying that one side's good one side's bad and we're you know we're we're sitting on the edge of of if it's not another if it's not another you know Twenty-year-long Afghanistan, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be too surprised if it ends up. How how likely the 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 serious threat of escalation of the worst weapons history has ever
2: seen ends up becoming? There's your black pill for the day. (laughs) Um, Well, and so to to kind of sum this up, we've been talking for about an hour now, but these guys in the Battalion 101 later in life people did track them down because there were still quite a few left. And one guy actually was tried and executed for his role in these killings that was, of the
1: Jews. That was major trap.
2: Yeah, so he was actually so he he kinda got he got his. And but there was a there was a handful of other guys um that like in the 60s like basically around the time that that these interviews are happening and it makes you wonder if they if if these guys were found because of these interviews but a couple of them actually did serve prison terms like several years in jail because of this but the rest of them normal lives blended with the with the you know surrounding community you would never know
0: Mm -hmm. that's interesting because because at that time they're I mean, they were in their forties, something like that, when it mm-hmm. when it happened. So in the sixties, they'd put them in their sixties. Um, yeah, they're old men now. Yeah.
2: Well, and something else that I was thinking about, Derek, when you mentioned it, is talking about this whole following orders, and that's part of the culture. I look at that as a very Japanese thing at the time as well. Well, imperialist Japan, yes. thing as well, very much part of the culture, right? But they were a lot more fanatical about it. If you've read, if you listen to Dan Carlin's Supernova in the East, very much so. Like people, people what people think the nazis were the imperialist japanese kind of actually were and the quote that he uses is the japanese are like everybody else only more so yeah. and the idea is like they're just so intense about everything and so that was that was the kind of the whole thing is when it came to following orders like you followed your orders and if you didn't you were executed you know and 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 if you were lucky you'd be allowed to execute yourself you know, for doing that. And that right. was kind of sort of like the Japanese psyche at the time. Right. But the Germans had that, but the, Jer- the Japanese seemed to have it even more.
1: <laughs> the, yeah. The Japanese were in love with it. Like there's a, there's a quote from one of the leaders saying how, how romantic it would be to have the entire Japanese race exterminated while defending their homes tooth and nail to, to the very last man. The, like, the
2: motto at the time was 200 million souls for the emperor. That was the entire population of Japan at the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was I like taught in, 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 in grade school to kids, you know, like, Hey guys, 200 million souls for the emperor. When, when the American devils come, you need to be ready to lay down your life for the emperor right now. No question. You know, which it boggles the mind as an American, but to them, it's like that, that was the culture of the world. They were, they knew no different. They didn't know any different to them. The emperor was a God right you know? and
1: and it was the resurgence of, of bushido right like all of all of their their you know you take take the classic heroes and then tell everyone they can be like that you know
2: yeah harikiri uh, and all that yeah exactly exactly yeah so the uh, one thing I, so i have a i have a couple of parting thoughts if that's okay i always have thoughts but it. just finish up the song so to kind of pick up where you left off, Derek, so the, the last there's only two verses in this song. There's two verses, the chorus is repeated twice, and then they have like a bridge at the end. And so it says, um, I understood, um, all the things I understood, fighting for the greater good. Now tell me why this feels so wrong, feels so wrong to hold this gun. Now look what I become. And then it says the chorus again, and the chorus is slightly different. It says, "Become uh, before the day is done, now that we have won. Mm-hmm. Earlier, it says, now that we have all that's left. Now, it's, now, now that we have won. So I guess it's the end of the war now, maybe. Um, and then the back when they were called The Jakes and they released this song um, on, on their first album, and it was called uh, Garands at Normandy, the song ended there. It just had like an outro Ooh. and that was it. But when they added it to their new album as Young the Giant and called it just Garands, they added this bridge here. And I want to see if you guys have any idea what it means because I have no clue. But I want to see if you, if you think there's any how, – how this adds to the song. But it says – the cold wind, you notice the sky. It blows in to show us the sign. It falls down before us. It lies. The cold wind, you notice my eyes. And then it, he, he kind of goes on saying, yeah, and a couple of O's in there and stuff. But that's, that's the last line. Some people theorize that that means the guy deserted. That last line means the guy deserted because of what he's become and doesn't want to do this anymore. I don't interpret it that way, but I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts on that. I don't
0: think he deserted because they had won in the previous verse or in the previous chorus. It says now that we have won, it seems like, like the, to me, like the cold wind is like the, the cold light of day. Now everything is exposed type of thing. But yeah, yeah, that, that that's, that, this is where more of like the interpretation, the impressionist thing where um, you kind of, you can make it, you can mean whatever you want it to mean. Generic on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There were, there were, so before the end of the first day of the Lublin massacres that uh, the 101st Battalion committed, um, there were another about 100 soldiers or, or police, not even soldiers, the policemen who, who stopped, who quit and and couldn't go on. They, they started, they, they engaged, um, and, then, and then realized they couldn't do this. And there were a few that gave reasons like uh, one said – well, I'm a friend of the Jews, and it was interesting to hear someone say, "I'm the friend of the Jews." Uh, you'd think he'd be mauled alive by, you know, the anti-Semitism of the Nazis, but he was left alone. But they all, everyone that stopped, referenced this feeling, this 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 feeling of of revulsion. That that was the word. They 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 they, they referenced this feeling of revulsion to what they were doing. This recog- and, and it's the only recognition of humanity that they really express. And that's kind of what that points me to, that last, that last stanza. It reminds me of, um, was it World War I's Christmas Day, where, truce. where each side, yeah, the Christmas Day truce, where each side sort of recognizes the humanity in their enemy. But only the Germans
2: and the Brits right the french didn't really get involved because they were still pissed at the germans <laughs> right right i shouldn't, I shouldn't <laughs> laugh it's a terrible war and it's very depressing but but it's 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 uh it, it's famously mostly germans and brits that that participated in that the french to some degree but it was mostly just those two sides because they kind of looked at it as like a brother war almost
1: yeah there's a story of one who uh one of the men in 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 and and the battalion of the reserve battalion uh, notices uh, a woman and her daughter. And so he just, and he walks alongside them to the killing field and, and starts a conversation with them and, and they get, and they get there and he intentionally misses his shot. And then he turns around and he leaves and he he realizes he can't do this. And it's that last line, the cold wind you notice my eyes, something that wakes you up and see humanity really, really, there, there, I think, I think there are those moments, you know, and, 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 and we can, we can see them even in the darkest atrocities. There are still moments of humanity and, and, and there's, there's hope in that. Uh, And I think we can going about our lives, going, getting in our grind can find moments of humanity to sort of step out of, you know, trying to, trying to get to the next, the next check or, or or our next appointment or whatever it is you know being being short with our families, that kind of thing like I think it's every single one of those little moments of humanity is what moves us away from having to stare in regret at uh, what we've what we've what we've done
2: when we weren't thinking for ourselves. yeah dude that and, was
0: really well said thank you yeah, that, was that was very great. deep
2: thank you very good thoughts. Pause for effect. I'm just kidding. Um no that was very good man thank you. Uh one thing that I was looking at um as I was combing through the history and music archives here for our research and preparation for this episode um is that the so it's it's Reserve Police Battalion 101 that's their name but Battalion 101 they they have documented basically 14 different occurrences where they liquidated these these Jewish groups. And most of the time, it was like 1,000, 1,500, a couple hundred here or there. It wasn't like massive numbers. I mean, they're, they're large and they're it's horrific. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't like tens of thousands. It was always a couple hundred, 1,500 on, in one day you know, or two days. And it, and it didn't start until 42. And they were only doing this from 42 to 43. So only a year, maybe a year and a half from 42 to 43. But in 14 different basic killings, if you will, incidents, um, they estimate that they that these guys executed eighty three thousand Jews total, the whole unit eighty three thousand. Mostly shooting, some um, like in uh, like the um, the trains, you know, take them to the gas chambers and things like that. But most of them was res- shooting. But eighty three thousand is the estimate that these guys, that this one unit, killed in just a year to a year and a half. These five hundred men that that's a lot. Holy cow. Right. Yeah. What, what is that? What is that per dude? If there's 500 guys, 83,000, I'm not going to do the math, but just think about that for a second. In one year, each one of those guys killed on average, how many people, you know what I mean? So that's crazy. So can I, can I share my, my schizo interpretation of the song with you as a parting thought? Go for it. Yeah. Okay. So, so, I I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of Young the Giant. Like I've heard their songs on the radio, and it's funny because you were calling them earlier before we recorded, and I think you mentioned on the show, uh, Derek, you said they were kind of an indie band. And when I grew up, I'm, I'm kind of old, but when I grew up, indie meant like underground, like people hadn't heard of them. Young the Giants got like 270 million listens right. for like their popular song on on Spotify just for cough syrup alone, and like I'm like those guys are pretty mainstream. But the the band themselves. They're a little bit unique. They're from uh, Southern California, like like the San Diego area, which is not unique. But the singer is actually Indian. He's East Indian. His name is Samir Gadia or Gadia. And I think he's from California, but his family is East Indian. And uh, one of the other guys in the band was also East Indian, but he later quit. And so now the the band now consists of this East Indian guy, uh, a Persian guy, shout out Nim. Um, and then like two or three other white guys. I think a French guy is in there. And so it's interesting because the singer and the guy that writes all the songs is this guy, Samir, who is East Indian. And it's just interesting that why would an East Indian guy grew up in Southern California write a song like this? That, that's kind of what my thinking was at, fir- at first. Why would, a, why would a mainstream pop band, pop rock band from Southern California headed by an Indian dude write a song like this? And I'm thinking, like, well, what what was India doing in World War II? Well, they were part of the German or the um, the the English Empire. And little known fact, at Normandy, the battle, there were Indian troops there fighting at Normandy from East India, mm-hmm. but they were fighting for the Germans. And there there were some like they have like Gurkhas and like Sikh regiments fighting for the Brits. They have since the beginning of time, but um, apparently. Germany was kind of touting this whole free India movement before Gandhi really got into it. And so what they had was they had like four or 5,000 guys from East India that wanted an independent India, meaning independent from the, from Great Britain. So they joined Nazi Germany to fight against Great Britain for their independence. Wow. I had never That's heard this crazy. before. and they were, they were present at Normandy shooting Americans basically. So it's basically confirmed.
0: This uh, songwriter was totally so that, in that's
2: on it. My, that's my thought. Is is this dude like the descendant of one of these like Indian dudes? It's fighting for independence with the Nazis against the Americans coming up Normandy, and now he's telling this this, this story from or the, the the song is told from the point of view of an American who's like, "What have I done? I'm killing these these good people, these Germans, these Indians. These, I'm I'm killing these good people who are just trying to make Germany." Great again. So it's know? not a self reflection so reflection song. It's an accusation song. Yeah, it's an accusation song. It's it like, is. dude, what have you done, man? You're helping <laughs> the imperialist. You're helping the queen, the king, and ens- you know, enslave my people in India. <laughs> so
1: what you're really saying
2: is Gandhi was a Nazi. Gandhi, Gandhi, Gandhi would have supported the nazi That's that's what I'm that's saying. Nice. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all coming together now. Yeah. Well, we know. Well, I don't think you support the communists, but. Um, anyway, I thought that was really interesting is that they literally had, they called it the Indian Legion. You can Google it, the Indian Legion and their, uh, their flag was like the flag of India with a tiger on it. And that was like their unit insignia in the German army during World War II. That um, is nuts. And they wow. were sometimes called the Tiger. They were sometimes called the Tiger Legion. Um, so that's pretty I cool. That was, yeah. And so they, they have like, they, they have like photos of Hitler meeting with like Indian leaders, you know, like during, you know, 1942. You know, basically just pushing for, yeah, man, you guys should be independent. Yeah, go ahead and join us. We'll help you, you know, kill the Brits. Get them out of there. Wow. So I guess maybe it's just the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But yeah, for sure. I thought that's, that's kind of why I was because in my mind, maybe I'm overthinking this, but I'm always thinking, why is this Indian dude from Southern California writing a song like this? Like maybe he's like this really complex character. And he's like super smart and everything. But from what I read about the guy, he like got his degree in music, you know, from like some Southern California university, mm-hmm. and dropped out of college to start a band. You know what I mean? And they're not. And, and and Young the Giant is not particularly political. They did just write a song like this year with called America, an America spelled with a K. I never listened to it, but I can I can probably assume it's not a positive song about America. <laughs> but, right. Right. But um. But anyway, yeah. I, so I, th- I thought that was that was kind of my schizo my schizo uh, interpretation of the song. <laughs> all the way, all the way, all the way over. Yeah. That's so great. there's two sides of every. There's good people on both sides. You know what I mean? Great, great, great <laughs> people. So, um, all right. Well, hey, I, I think it was a really good episode, Derek. I appreciate you doing all the research you did and reading that book. Um, let me know when you finish it how it how it ends.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, How about yeah, Who
2: How wins? About I'm <laughs> to, find what I'm to find out what happens at the end of the war. So hope, hopefully, it's good. And hopefully, the good you know, guys win. Hopefully, the good guys win. I hope so.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll link the book in the description if anyone's interested. Because yeah, I'm sure. interested. That that it sounds really cool. Like the, dude, the, dude. yeah, the, just just the idea of of hearing what like what they were going through. You know.
2: Yeah, and I I am gonna say this because I know that I'm gonna have at least one person I know of like call me on this. The guy that wrote "Ordinary Men," Christopher Browning, or Christopher R. Browning. So he's still alive. Uh, he's like in his seventies, I think. He's an American, and he super educated. Got a PhD. He's actually written several books. "Ordinary Men" is one that he wrote in the '90s, and it's like his most popular book, the one he's known for. And the book is fairly, fairly even-handed. Um, but later in life, I was telling the guys this before the before the uh, show. I think he ended up being a little bit of a leftist. So just know know that's that that, that's what you're getting into. But I don't I don't think he's like like super, super far left. But if you peruse like his his public profiles, like lately he's compared Trump to Hitler and the MAGA movement to Nazi Germany and stuff like that. So a little bit of Trump derangement syndrome later in life. I mean he's a guy seventy eight years old, but the book, from what I hear, is really good, highly acclaimed. It's only gotten one major um, critique of it. It's actually by a Jewish guy who basically said the guy was too even-handed when talking about the Germans, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. He's like, "Hey, you were too much of a historian. You should have been a lot more, uh, a lot of more anti-German in your book." And he's like, "Well, I'm just going off what they said in their actual interviews, but go off." So, yeah, but then yeah. the, the Jewish guy. Tim actually wrote another book that's supposed to counter Christopher Browning's book and the Jewish guy's book got like, just totally ripped apart because it was so badly done. Oh no. (laughs) So anyway.
1: Yeah. But uh, he starts the book off in the preface. He's like, all I have are the firsthand accounts given 20 years later, which is not great for me as a historian, but it's what I have to work with. And I can't not tell the
2: story. Right. Well, because what's going to happen is these guys are going to color it based on them already losing the war, learning that Nazism and anti-Semitism is bad and, and and all that. So that's going to color some of what they said. You're not getting these guys interviewed just after they massacred these Jews. You're getting them later in life after they had time to reflect on this, after their country has been beaten to a pulp. Everyone's been put in prison that had anything to do with it.
0: Well, right. You know? and, and, and you think about like the – motivation behind agreeing to be interviewed with this you'd think you'd like after 20 years it would be
2: i want to clear my name type thing right yeah yeah anyway but yeah well so i think i think we're good to end it there so derek thanks man uh good song and great conversation before we let you go where can the folks at home like connect with you find you is there anything you'd like to plug on the show
1: uh, well, so I'm on Twitter. That's basically it right now. Uh, I got some things I'm working on, but, uh, it's my ad it's, uh, at latter day drums and I'm mostly, I'm mostly just, uh, just Mormon posting there. That's pretty much, pretty
2: much. What Latter-day I'm Saint posting.
1: Yeah. La- right. Right. Oh, my bad.
2: Whoops. <laughs> no, Dude, it's in, it's in your app, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You said it correctly in your ad. So cool. All right. So we should definitely listen for maybe some, um, some new tracks coming out soon. Is that, is that what I'm hearing?
1: That's I uh, I don't know about soon, Maybe. but it's in, it's, it's not going to, I'm not going to stop working on them. That's for sure.
2: Well, we're definitely going to bully you until they're done for yes. sure. So, Let's and then, and then can, you'll come on it. the podcast again
0: to promote it.
1: There we we'll go. talk about your
2: song. Yeah. Bro. Ooh, Meta. I'll get on that.
0: <laughs> Dude. Okay. R- write so, a, well, write a cool based historical song and you're
2: on bro. Yeah, dude, we'll get you. We'll get you on here, and like, hey, so tell us what every part of this song means, and then we don't have to interpret. Why is the lamp red? Yeah, (laughs) is that a real line? Where'd you get? Oh, I don't know. I just came in my head. Oh, you just just made that up. (laughs) It's like, is that a Schindler's List reference? I don't know. I. Speaking of Holocaust, but. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. Derek, thanks for coming on, man. That was that was awesome. Um any parting thoughts from Derek? Scott, any parting thoughts?
1: No, man. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Yeah. I I uh, I I hope if uh you know anyone listening to this it gives them something to think about, kind of to examine and uh and and I always find these moments uh you know make me review and 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 want to just live my life a little better. So yeah,
0: uh, and my my parting thoughts is kind of disclaimer, I suppose. Like we don't support what the Germans did, but we uh, or what the Nazis did. We but we we do want to analyze and should analyze the uh, the individuals that did do it because it 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 can only help to know. Um, and, I, and
2: I've said, I've said this before. This is something that one of my history professors told me in college, who was actually also my bishop at church, but. He told me that, and, and I think I've sh- i shared this with you before, Scott, in a prior episode, but he talked about how he would show his kids, his kids were like teenagers, like early young teenagers, and he would show them like some R-rated movies that were historical, you know, like Braveheart or Saving Private Ryan, something like that. And his reasoning for it is, is and, and this is the reason I'm sharing the story, history is rated R, sometimes rated more than R, but history is rated R. And you can't be afraid to look at these things to learn from them. Amen to that. That's my parting thought. All right. And oh. then I guess to actually end, because
0: we're kind of doing the Lord of the Rings ending, keep ending <laughs> over and over. But, Sam uh, just got married, fade to white. <laughs> okay, go ahead. No, uh, <laughs> y- you can follow Sean at, at uh, hashtag hey bro. And with, under, with underscores between each word, underscore, yes. Underscore, and I'm at .gif. And um, yeah, hit us up on Twitter for any any suggestions. Any uh, If you want to be on the podcast, hit us up. We have a... a uh, email address look in the description i can't remember it the the exact (laughs) address but look in the description
2: music podcast at gmail i believe
0: there you go that's it um hit us up either there on twitter um if you see me walking on the street hit me up anything um and with that we're out here's the song